I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by the ever-engaging Eddie Kramer and also another familiar voice, Chris Lee. We're hobby machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Gentlemen, how are you all doing tonight? Hey, Winston. Hey, Chris. Good to uh, connect with you guys again. Yeah, doing great, man. Thanks for having me on again. So this is DFX 30, our 30th episode. Hey, we kind of missed it when we hit the, the one-year anniversary, I think. That was probably... June, right? Yeah, that would have been like roughly 25 episodes in because yeah. it's bi-weekly and we, we've we only skipped one or two episodes, I think, or weeks rather. That's, right, right. That's crazy. It's, you guys have been on for over a year already? Yeah. Yeah, it's because we only do the every other week. It just Oh, <laughs> oh that's right. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah, if, we were, if we were like, this is a machining, we'd be on episode like, what, 60 by now, I guess. Mm, okay. Um, I don't know how those guys do it. <laughs> Just doing this every two weeks uh, and editing and everything. It's like uh, I got a lot of respect for uh, getting one, you know, uh, getting a weekly episode out. That's got to be a lot of work. We're still uh, beating the odds, though. I mean, a lot of podcasts don't make it past 20. They don't make it past a year. So I'd say we're doing yeah. pretty well. Yep. Uh, reader, or I'm sorry, um, listener count is continuing to grow. Thank you, listeners. I uh, really appreciate all the good feedback we get, um, reviews on iTunes and the other platforms. Plus, uh, always love hearing from you guys on Instagram, on the DFX page, or or my page. So, thanks, thanks for all the support. So, what uh, what's everyone working on tonight? Tonight, I'm working on some Delrin stuff. So um, I was using some, stealing some uh, feeds and speeds from Eddie's Instagram page and just basically plowing through that thing and making a mess everywhere. Um, that's tonight and for the next few days, I'll be doing Delrin stuff. But I just got over uh, making something out of titanium, grade five titanium actually, and uh, 303 stainless on the uh, Pocket NC. And was super happy with the kind of finishes that I was getting, uh, especially incredibly surprised at the fact that I was able to do it at such a low RPM. Um, you know, originally I thought that maybe the higher spindle, uh, the torque range would be higher in the 35k RPM, but I was running close to like 9 to 12k RPM and still doing a really good job. And the end mills are lasting and I'm totally surprised that they have been, but it's been great. I'm super um excited and i was actually really happy to see the turnout for the things i was making so um that kind of boosted me up a little bit and i've been on a really good uh machining vibe lately yeah that really that blows me away that you're able to get away with such low rpm um so I, you've kind of I, I saw the kind of the work in progress you showed it's like i'm rethinking some of my uh, stainless steel recipes now because i had trouble running below 18k rpm um stalling the spindle but i think you know, it was probably a combination of wrong tool and wrong radial engagement. So uh, I didn't spend a lot of time on on the stainless on the B250, but um, I kind of have a couple of projects coming up that are going to be titanium and 303. So I'm going to try uh, give your give your recipes a, tr- a shot. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hoping to find. I mean, I'm hoping to find a faster like recipe that works, just because the machining would go more quickly right yeah but um but yeah there's you know if those materials you pretty quickly run into the limitations on the small machines so just finding anything that works is a win so that's really cool yeah the you know my first 
dab onto the titanium. I was making sparks and actually scared the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> and I did some research because uh, I was I was failing pretty hard in the beginning. And then I just stopped and I was like, whatever I'm doing is wrong. So I got to stop doing it. So I did research. I tried to figure out what was, you know, the mechanical stuff that I need to really think about, like the properties. And it really came down to surface speed per minute for me. Um, obviously trying to machine it at 35k RPM, you're doing a surface speed of like a thousand and that thing is just way too fast. So I said, okay, titanium is meant to be done at like 250 or, or lower. I'm going to make that the thing that I don't change. And I'm going to force myself to basically adapt everything else to make that work. So I ended up dropping the RPM to like 9k on the eighth inch. And then I started with a 10,000 radio, 10,000 depth. Um, and it worked. I was completely shocked. And then I said, okay, and it sounded really great. So I'm like, all right, let's push this. So I went to uh, 10 radial, 20 depth, and it worked. And I went to 15 radial, 25 depth, and it worked. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was so happy, I just left it. I didn't even keep pushing it because it was such a good sounding cut. Um, the tool lasted forever. I think I machined on that eighth inch for like over 15 hours. And there, it looks great. You know, the one that I plowed through in the beginning that made the sparks, I only machined on for like three hours and that thing was destroyed. So I was super happy uh, being able to dry machine like that on the pocket and see at such low RPM. And the finish is great, like a really good looking machine finish. So I was, I was really ecstatic about that uh, titanium and how that turned out. So yeah, I couldn't be happier. That was, that was a four flute? Uh, that was a four flute, uh, eighth inch, just a generic thing from a Mastercard. I don't even know what brand it was. Yeah. I wonder. Uh, I wonder if a, a three flute would let you get a little bit like bigger bite in titanium with the same surface footage. Mm -hmm. Interesting to see if that speeds things up. That might be that might be where you run into the torque limit though. Uh, those RPMs, right? Yeah. It, all right, interesting. So um, you were asking Winston what what we're working on this weekend. So I don't, I haven't run my machine today, but I have a, a two and a half inch cube of aluminum sitting on my V250 ready to go. Nice. <laughs> for tomorrow. Yeah. So that's like, it's the last bit of work I have to do before I uh, head out to Germany. Uh, last bit of work I have to do for somebody else, I should say. Um, so I've got basically two weeks uh, clear for the machines. Um, where they're basically I can work on whatever I want. So I get to do some of my projects. I'll probably do some stuff to take to Germany. Um, I think I'll have enough time to knock out a few little tchotchkes, but, uh, that's nice. It's been, I don't remember the last time I got to make something for myself. I, think, I guess the <laughs> lanyard beads like three months ago. Um, yeah, so it's gonna be fun. It's funny, right? Like we, we do this because we love it and we get, pretty good at it to the point where other people want us to do stuff for them. And then we, we get good at that. And then we kind of run out of time to do things for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I was doing a better balance last year. Um, but I've been pretty aggressive about taking on work this year just cause, uh, like I said, it's helping me get better at what I do. And you know, when it's like at the Neo here, I'm, that's mostly going to be commercial work on that machine. So I could use the practice. <laughs> How about you, Winston? I saw you've been working on some pretty interesting stuff lately. Um, I've been working on a variety of stuff, um, but really, right now, it's it's just pure video production. Um, over the past week, we've started trickling out the uh, the carbide camp knife video series, and uh, I've just been racking my brain trying to figure out how to put into words what that process has been like. 
because it's been a a really genuinely um, rewarding experience, but also a bit of a emotional roller coaster. Um, so I, that project started back in June. Um, so it took about two months to start from idea to working knife that I took camping. And uh, it's like, I spent a lot of hours on YouTube just trying to like, like look for like how to make a knife, how to heat treat steel and how to like, what are even the different parts of a knife? There's, there's a lot of knife vocabulary that I just wasn't familiar with. And so um, I went through different phases. The first phase was just like despair as you, you take in all this knowledge and you think like, oh, there's no way I could like, like wrap my brain around everything there is to know, the, the metallurgy stuff, the, the blade design, until I finally sat down. I was like, all right, this has to be simple. So I'm going to eliminate certain features. Um, there are certain materials that I know I just, I can't handle. Like um, I really wanted to use um, an air quenching steel for this blade. And that just, it wasn't in the cards because I'd have to find someone who could um, heat treat it in a vacuum furnace or do the, um, well, at the very least, they needed a heat treating oven so that you can um, hold it at a consistent temperature. Um, and I just, there were just processes that I had to say like, no, we can't go down that path. Um, JPL Richard convinced me to go with O1 Tool Steel because he's had experience with it. And it's actually a, a fairly forgiving steel from a heat treat perspective because it's um, it it's a lot more resistant to um, cracking during the quenching process and all that. So um, just through that whole long process, I, I have like 200 gigabytes of footage, which is uh, destroying my Mac right now. I've got <laughs> less than 15 gigs free and uh, it is not happy. Um, so I'm just, I'm racing, trying to get out all these videos. The next one will hopefully drop by the time this uh, podcast episode drops. And that one will be the episode where I bevel the blades, which I'm not thrilled with because there are, aspects of that process i know i could do better and i wish i could revisit um but from a learning perspective um i'm just happy i managed to bevel a knife and get all the design elements i wanted to with the nomad um in tool steel which i think is pretty incredible but we'll see if the rest of the uh the youtube world and the audience base if they appreciate it as well the first two episodes have been pretty modest compared to the uh skateboard project series i think people just like seeing big aluminum chips on the shape oko um but hopefully hopefully youtube shows the nomad some love did you um are you pretty comfortable with, with your recipe your nomad recipe for steel now i thought i was comfortable with it and then i heard chris saying that he was getting 15 hours of tool life on titanium and so I think I have to reevaluate some of my assumptions or, or take a closer look at this because I'm a little jealous. Um, but also, <laughs> I don't, unless I make more knives, I probably wouldn't cut steel. I'd probably go with stainless um, because I was looking through the uh, Harvey Tools speeds and feeds charts for some of their end mills, and the recommended surface footage for stainless steel, certain grades um, can approach like 400. SFM, which would be just so much more pleasant to be able to run at 10,000 RPM instead of like having to dial it back to about 8,000 or so and, and really 
um, try and keep it in this, that sweet spot. So I think stainless would give me just a, a broader sweet spot that I can hit, and I just have a little more freedom to play around with my speeds and feeds. And uh, hopefully it would go faster as well, and I'd get better tool life. So future knife project, maybe, but um, stainless steel is probably the the next area where I'd feel a little more comfortable. And I'm hoping to try some stainless on the Shape Oko, uh, hopefully tomorrow. Wow. Shape Oko. <laughs> yep. I mean, minimum RPM, 10,000, with the Makita or Carbide Compact Router, with an eighth-inch tool, perfectly acceptable surface footage. So, I mean, I, I might try tool steel on the Shape Oko with an end mill diameter of like 2 mil or less, but anything above that i personally want to keep that surface footage below about 250 so stainless steel is the hardest material i feel comfortable running an eighth inch tool in yeah that's that's kind of the challenge on the shape echo is getting you know the rpm the minimum rpm is pretty high right so yeah your sfm is going to be pretty high no matter what are you uh, going to do that dry with just air or Oh yeah, no coolant. Right. I I am trying to keep this as accessible as possible, and part of the reason I'm doing that test um, this weekend is because at some point in the near future I plan on upgrading to the HDZ, and uh, oh, if okay. I do that, a lot of my recipes people might think it's a little less accessible. Um, so. Until I get a working shape Oko in the carbide shop, um, a lot of recipes going forward in my garage are going to be like have a little asterisk next to them saying with HDZ. Yeah, hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Um, wow, well, I'm looking forward to catching up on your your videos, uh, especially the knife ones. All right, can I pick your brain though? Because I don't know what to make. I've got some eighth inch steel or uh, stainless steel blanks two by two inches i don't know what to make on it and i really don't want to make like one of those keychain bottle openers <laughs> uh, eddie's more of an edc guy i think than me but um yeah you could always you could always uh there's a couple of things you could make if you want to do edc there's the metallic wallets you know the hard wallets um, or card holders, or you want to call those. And then the other thing is like a utility knife um, that takes like a, you know, one of those throwaway blades. Oh, like the box cutter blades? Cutter. Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. Um, I've been wanting to maybe try one of those myself, not as a product, as something to make for myself. So those always look like they'd be kind of fun. And they're, they're complicated. They're usually going to be two-sided. Um, so you got to get pretty good work holding and be able to flip it over but that would be that would be pretty cool i think I'm trying to think of so one one eighth material you probably have to make you might have to make three i don't know if you can make if that's thick enough to make two like two the two halves you might have to have like a, a left center right piece to get the thickness but it's hard to say what about like a key organizer thing Oh, uh, like, uh, <laughs> we're gonna hit them all right key bar just do a key bar you know i i mean i i don't like some of the designs out there so i'm curious if you could come up with something a little better 
Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any like accessories or upgrades you could do on the Shape Oko, like out of stainless, but probably not really. Um, I don't know. For plate. Yeah, I'm out of, kind of fresh out of ideas for that. Yeah, that's all right. I'll figure yeah. it out. I might make a. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say adapter pieces. <laughs> I, my stock is too small for that. So I have yeah, already I ruled that out. I used the one eighth inch uh, stock. That was my, uh, actually, you know what? Main body was one eighth inch. I do have some really small bearings and I could, no, we're not going there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need uh like, a, I think it's, uh, I can't remember the bearing I use, but yeah, there's one that's, uh, just right for the one eighth inch body but they're not cheap well that's cool i'm looking forward to seeing uh how that turns out for you yeah so am i should be good though i mean um a lot of what i felt was an issue with the nomad is that um the nomad's got a much lighter like spindle carriage and i feel like um, some of the, the vibration issues I was having might be because you're counting on the rigidity of all the linear bearings. And I think the, the sheer mass of the shape Oko might actually help dampen out some of that. Um, and keep me away from chatter in certain places where on the nomad it would crop up. So I, I feel like I'm going to learn a lot about the, um, some of the inherent and subtle differences, uh, between the different machines so it, it should be a good learning experience yeah so the see what else the other thing i've been working on um not so much machining but uh infusion so i'm kind of revisiting the tombstones the pocket and c tombstone i've been playing around with like a version two of that for a while um some of it's just based on using the first gen tombstone and things i didn't like about it so um, made some changes basically I posted them on Instagram today but there'll be some more posts on it, about it pretty soon um, I'm hoping to make the new design uh, at least one of them while I'm in Germany so we'll see if that works out um, but yeah so the like the I don't know what I was thinking when I did the first one but um, like the tombstone bolts or you know uh, attaches to the pocket and seat bed with the kind of the normal screws that you would use to attach anything to that, to the rotary table. And once the vices are on the tombstone, they each of the vice bodies cover the, the uh, mounting holes. So I can't take, I can't take the tombstone uh -huh. off, off the pocket and seat without pulling the vices off, which is, it's not too bad. There's only, you know, that's four extra screws I got to take off, but, um, but I'd rather like once I get devices on there, I don't really want to be taking them off and on because like, you know, they they have dowels to align them, but there's always going to be a little bit of error there. So, um, yeah, so I basically uh, redesigned the tombstone so that I could rotate the bolt pattern on the bottom flange 45 degrees. So now the the uh, there's room to fit a tool down kind of between the devices to get it on and off the pocket and see. Uh, so that's that's like the biggest thing I like <laughs> biggest change I made the rest was just kind of changed the look a little bit reduce the weight a little bit um, and this one like the one I was showing is now kind of dedicated to being a quad vice setup I'm still working on a, a little bit 
different design that's closer to the first gen um, for holding like removable fixture plates. So uh, that I'll probably start working on that once I get back from Germany. And then I've got to uh, kind of do a scaled up version of the same thing for the Neo, for the uh, fourth axis on the Neo. I have a little bit more room to work there. Um, don't know what vice arrangement I'll use there. It might be the pocket and C vices, or it might, um, I don't know if there's going to be room to fit like a Saunders mod vice on a tombstone. I have to play around in fusion with the Neo models that I have and see if there's enough clearance. But um, speaking of the Neo, I haven't, I don't think I've done a Neo update since I first announced I got, I uh, was purchasing one, but um, I changed my order. <laughs> so uh, right after I ordered the the Neo a few months ago, Datron told me that they have a, a Neo Series 2 coming out and wanted to know if I wanted to basically just change my order to get that one. And, nice. Um, yeah, so that's the big news. Um, I think they're officially announcing the Series 2 Neo at Emo this month. Um, there was like a small press release that went out in, I want to say June or July, um, and that's when they contacted me about it, but um, there's some pretty good upgrades on that. They've uh, gone to like a, a real Renishaw touch probe. The Sweet. Same probe, yeah, same probe they're using on the bigger Datron machines is now on the Neo. That's a little bit more accurate than the probe they had on the first-gen machine. I think what else is, oh, the big thing was the, the control, the next control gets upgraded to, I guess, the latest electronics, so now it's got the uh, much faster processor and much faster, or a lot more memory than the previous gen, so it's supposed to be like, I guess more responsive on the touchscreen and also the simulation runs a lot faster, so just kind of overall faster control. Bindle chiller uh, got changed, or I'm not sure exactly why they did that change, and then uh, a couple of, few other small changes just to uh, improve the reliability and serviceability of the machine. So anyway, I'm pretty excited about getting that. I don't know if I'll, I think I'll be the first one getting a Series 2 in the U.S. It's supposed to be here. Actually, it's going to be in the U.S. It's probably here uh, either this week or next week. It gets here from Germany. And then Datron's going to hang hang on to it until I get back from my trip to Emo. And then we'll get it set up here probably in October. So, All right, so that means we'll, we'll buy our plane tickets for uh, November. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, actually, that I, could work. <laughs> I feel like I'm just as excited or more excited that you're getting a Neo just because Winston and I are going to show up at your doorstep when we're playing on that thing all weekend. Oh, yeah, it should be fun. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of time just to kind of, well, like somewhere in there I have to go do training too. So I'll be I'll be going up to New Hampshire to Daytron's, uh, Daytron Dynamics office to get some, I think, two days of training on the Neo and the, the set of accessories I ordered. So I have the, I think I mentioned it before, but I have the fourth axis, optional fourth axis, rotary axis, and I have the vacuum work holding. Um, those are the two kind of primary options I went with. I didn't go with devices, so I'll be doing my own work holding setup on that. Uh, more, more to come on that, hopefully, in a month or two. Um, so I'm trying to think what else. the. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I already talked about the. You know, there'll be a tombstone for that too. So, you know, talking about the how you're saying you're not sure if the mod vice would fit. I mean, I don't know how tall the Saunders mod vice is, but I made one similar to theirs, and I got it down to about like half an inch, and it works really good on the Nomad. 
So I'm sure you could, are you looking for just like a purchase, like off the shelf solution? Or did you want to make your custom fixtures and stuff and work holding? So the first thing I'm like for the tombstone in particular, for the Neo, um, if that, like if the mod vice that Saunders sells fits, or I can make it, you know, make a tombstone where I could fit four of those on there, um, or even three, like I might go with the, the triangular tombstone, get a little bit more room. I'd probably go with that. Um, the next option would be like scale, you know, create basically my own similar design, right? Or some, or even use the pocket and C vices, which are probably going to be too small for that. But um, so that's for the fourth axis, and um, I can't talk about the rest of it, but there might be something going on with the Neo and Modvice. So <laughs> that's for a future episode. We'll see where that where that goes. Uh, but the other we're calling, um, so the fourth axis comes with, or I ordered it with the uh, the vice that Datron recommends for it. It's a Lang vice, uh, five axis uh, self-centering vice, and then there's a three-jaw chuck. And both of those um, can be mounted on the table too, so I can use them for three-axis work with an adapter plate. So I'll be that'll probably be my initial vice, will be that Lang vice. I'll use it wherever I need it, either on the table or on the rotary. Yeah, I mean, and I'm still, yeah, I'm still like my bigger solution for vices. I'm still kind of doing research because um, I do want a multi vice setup on that table. Uh, although everyone kind of everyone I've talked to that runs Neos and knows them well says you're going to be using the vacuum work holding more than anything. It's so easy, like this <laughs> setup. But you're going to be like, you get, yeah. It says that you can do a lot more than you would think on there, um, including using it for like holding pallets. So you can put the vice on a pallet and then hold the pallet down at the vacuum table. Oh, what? Um, yeah, that's, that's what Marvin was doing when he was at Daytron. So uh, it's like, it's really quick to change the kind of the work holding setup on that, especially if you can, you know, if depending on what you're machining, right? If you can live with the kind of vacuum as the underlying base on the table and then just hold your stuff with that. Cause you can probe it in pretty easily. So I, I gotta get used to that, right? <laughs> Having a probing system and just basically be able to locate anything very easily. So that's, that's new to me. Uh, that's, that sounds so cool. Like I, I feel like I need to step up my game a little bit and see if I can uh, make a vacuum solution for the Nomad or the Pocket NC. Cause that would be pretty awesome to just be able to stick stuff to your plate and just go, go to town on it. Yeah. I'm the Neo. Um, so the vacuum work holding, they uh, kind of the, the standard Neo, vacuum option um you can it's two plates but if you put them both on the whole table becomes a vacuum chuck so it's like a you know 20 inch by 16 inch vacuum chuck huge and uh yeah so you can you know use it for holding plate down or you can like I said get creative with work holding and use it to hold some other work holding piece down and then uh, do smaller work on it so i have a lot to learn <laughs> but yeah i've been hearing lots of good stuff from from Folks that are much more familiar with the machine than I am. That really seems like cheating. You just throw down a yeah. pallet, and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just slap it on there any any other way, right? And then let the probe figure out where where it is and fix everything. So, um, yeah, so that's it for the Neo until I until it arrives. So I probably won't have anything else to share until I get back from Germany, other than I, you know. I will see the series two at Emo. That'll be the first time I actually lay eyes on one. Um, 
Uh, hopefully, I think they're going to be running a demo there. I think I saw some Instagram previews of what they'll be running there. Sweet. Can't wait, man. Sounds like fun. This, uh, this learning journey is going to be pretty amazing, I think. So excited for you. Thanks. Chris, you're working on motorcycle parts again? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't, for those of you who don't know, I, I actually made a motorcycle exhaust for a 1980 Honda CBF, uh, 900. And, um, that actually went really well, which is why I'm here today doing all this stuff. But, um, I got contacted by some of the forum members just kind of checking in to see if I'm still alive or not. <laughs> and, uh, they asked me if, uh, I'd be interested in making a Olin steering damper, uh, for the bike. So, uh, I told them I don't have the capacity right now to run a production run, but he knew, uh, he knows a guy that, that runs a job shop and that would be able to do that. So, um, right now my job is just to do design and prototyping. And then he'll take care of the production run and we'll split the profits and stuff. So a uh, fun little way for me to get back into making motorcycle parts. Uh, so a passion of mine that's definitely I let slip uh, to get into all this. But uh, it's fun to be back. And I'm excited to see what else uh, might come out of that. Because there's some talks about making clutch covers and uh, brake handles and all sorts of fun stuff. So now that I have the, the knowledge and the ability, like I wonder what other stuff I can come up with. That's cool. Looking for it. Hopefully you can show it. When you're oh, yeah. I mean, this bike is like, it's like from the 80s. Nobody makes stuff. It's a very niche market, but it's still a pretty strong niche market, I would say. Um, so, And it's all just going to be whatever I make. So I don't, I don't have to protect it or anything. I don't, there's no one out there trying to like compete with me to make parts for an 80s motorcycle. So we, we should be good. <laughs> yeah. So I saw, um, yeah, so I'm going to like, the next two weeks, hopefully, I'll be making some just some fun parts, but uh, also going to be working on some models that, um, for potential, you know, there's two or three things I might be able to make while I'm in Germany. So, uh, kind of getting the CAD side finalized. The Tombstone's number one candidate right now. Hopefully, we can uh, run one of those on, on a machine over in Germany. <laughs> so, we'll see. But how about you? I know you've got, you're working on some design stuff too, right, Chris? Yeah. Um, I've kind of gotten to this point where, uh, I need to fill my queue with design stuff. You know, I've been doing so much machining lately, but, um, I need to get back into the, the, the workflow of getting a bunch of stuff kind of designed. So I do have things planned for the next three months. Um, I have long-term CAD stuff that I want to do maybe over the course of a year, um, short-term stuff and then weekly stuff. And, and before I can do any of these like fun personal projects again, I need to get my uh, job queue cleared for the customers that I have right now. And once I finish that, and then I might try to rebalance the way that I accept uh, job shop work so that I don't completely hinder my personal like projects because right now i've got to the point where i can't i don't have time to do anything that i my personal interest in so i've learned the hard way that it's fun to take stuff to do for other people for money but it also completely stops like your personal growth in that process for as far as the things i want to do i learned yeah. quite a bit on the job like you know getting someone's part especially if it's complex because lately it seems like all i'm getting is complex stuff um so I learn a lot, especially about fixturing and also customer demands. Like, what is it that they're looking for? Everyone's a little different, um, you know. So that's been great. Uh, but I, I don't want to stop making the cool things that got me into this. So I have a lot of uh, ideas. But I think the one that I can talk about 
for sure, because I know I really want to do it, is I want to have a lightsaber done before the next Star Wars movie comes out in December. And I'm going to try to make all the parts for this lightsaber on the Pocket NC or the Nomad. And it's going to have electronics and it's going to work, make sounds, all that stuff. So it's going to be cool. And this will push me in my out of my boundaries because I have never really worked with electronics before. So I know how to solder and everything. I just don't understand like how to put together a PCB board or whatever to do all the little parts and stuff. So this will definitely make me go out there and do it and just to have a lightsaber. Like I've always wanted a lightsaber, even as a kid. And I finally have the means and abilities to kind of make one. So I'm pushing pretty hard for the next couple of months to get this design done, to figure everything out electronic wise, order all the stuff, you know, get it going. And then hopefully uh, segment the lightsaber into different parts so that I can make it on the stuff that I have and then put it together and turn it on and go watch the movie. So looking really looking forward to that. Hopefully it comes out okay. Are you adding a blade to that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I will have a blade attachment for that as well. Um, I'm thinking my ideas. I don't want to carry like a four foot blade, so I might do like a, a dagger style or a short blade style lightsaber. Um, but yeah, definitely need to. Co- I'm still working on the theme and design and stuff. I know what motifs I want to follow, but um, right now, not knowing exactly which electronics I want to use is hindering me because I don't know how to basically design the internals, like the the mounting points, how big can this thing be, what my restrictions are. So I'm focusing on that first. Once I have the board down that I want to use and the speaker size and all that, then I can start designing around that and uh, fleshing out all the details and stuff. But I want to do like trim. I want to do like inlays and all sorts of fun stuff. So I've given myself three months to do this. Hopefully I get it done. Nice. I think the most important question to ask is what color is your blade going to be? Red. Always red. (laughs) Always and forever. Yeah, I was super uh, nerdly excited about I like to make stuff uh, Bob's uh, Black Saber. Like, that's a really, like, Star Wars nerdy reference. And, like, not a lot of people know where that saber is from. And when I saw that video, I was kind of shocked because I didn't think he was that deep of a Star Wars fan. So if I ever see him again, I'll definitely give him uh, some props up front because I I really appreciate that video. So if you guys haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It's I Like to Make Stuff YouTube channel. How about you, Winston? What you got going this week? I mean, this week, besides the steel, besides the HDZ yeah. install, I've also um, got a, a pretty big pile of, um, I think it's half-inch acrylic stock. So I'm going to be running some speeds and feeds testing on the Shape Oko because I kind of neglected that. I made a Material Monday video for the Nomad, but I never did one for the Shape Oko. So I'm going to try and remedy that and get that in the queue for September. And then slightly slightly longer term, um, I, I got to get back into some projects for myself. Um, but uh, it's... The, the biggest thing on the agenda for Carbide is just some more exotic materials. Um, we have, we've heard the customers or the prospective customers loud and clear. A lot of them are like jewelry people and they're like, Hey, can I machine like gold or silver? And so hopefully I can do some, some exploration of that for myself and actually have some data for them because right now we, we kind of have some rough guidelines, but none of us have firsthand experience machining this stuff. So, um, my, my first priority right now is to just keep acquiring just more information that I can share with customers and people and just um, basically push the limits of like what people normally think can be machined. Um, 
those those softer materials can be a little challenging. Um, I've been trying to source um, sterling silver that's not like um, the condition is called dead soft, which is which is uh, fully annealed. Um, you have different states going up to I think it's like quarter hard, half hard, spring hard. Um, so it's it's going to be fun trying to take these materials and um, just playing around with them, seeing what happens. I want to do a test where I actually machine a fully annealed metal just to show the difference and the degradation of cut quality. Um, but yeah, right now for me, it's all about getting data and not just for exotic materials, I guess, but also revisiting some old recipes. Um, Bantam's been rolling out some stuff with Proven Cut, and I think we're probably going to get into that game too. So I got to put together some solid recipes, document everything I know a little better, and um, yeah, we'll go from there, see what happens. But uh, hopefully this this fall we'll just have a lot more data uh, flowing freely to the masses about machining different materials. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Proven Cut because... Uh... I couldn't talk about it before, but, um, yeah, there's actually, I was working with John to get, uh, some pocket and C and V two fifty and Bantam tools, um, recipes up there kind of before they had their grand opening of the website. So I know you guys are going to sound like you guys are going to be adding to it. I know Bantam's like greatly expanding on what I put up there. Um, I, I basically put basic, uh, aluminum and Delrin recipes up there for adaptive clearing and uh, some finishing passes. So basically you know, enough to get you started, right? If you just bought one of those machines and wanted to work in those materials. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like in a month. It's probably quite a bit more richer database for the hobby machines. Um, I was kind of surprised that there was really that much going up there. I was expecting anything below Haas or Tormach. There probably wouldn't have been much, going on, but it sounds like the machine makers are stepping up and getting good data up there. So, I mean, if you think about it, the number of, um, like Tormox and Haas's, there's a large number of spindles out there, not so many Daytrons, but at the hobbyist level, I mean, there are thousands of Shapokos out there and nomads. And I, I don't know what the Bantam sales figures are, but I mean, there's a large number of people there. Um, and so any, anything that aids that flow of information is, is a net win for the community. We're the ones that actually need it. You know, like we can't take feeds and speeds off of a Harvey Tools website and just use it because that you just stall or break. You know, we, we actually have to end up learning and how to like adapt what we read online and then tapering it down to make it actually work on the machine. So, uh, you know, if I, the Haas I use at school, I usually just open up Harvey and I just blah, 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 put in everything that, you know, one time and it works because that's what it's meant for. It's meant for an industrial machine to just go and, and use it and, and be good. But when I'm on like the pocket and see the Nomad, it's like, I need to figure out, okay, I need to reduce this percentage by that, but how much? And, and if I know the material, it's fine. But when I don't know material, like the titanium, I just did, it, it was, it was a learning curve. And uh, I hope to also, I'm collecting a database myself, writing down everything that I did. I want to make this accessible for all pocket NC users out there. So nobody has to like restruggle what I've already struggled with. And I hope that other people will kind of chime in and, and, uh, put their info on top of that. So I think as a community, it'd be cool if everyone just 
shared what they knew and what they did. And I think the recipe plus video thing is a really perfect combo because one person who thinks the recipe is good and then we watch the video and all you hear is chatter. At least that way you can kind of know like, okay, that's not a good recipe, but I can get, we just need to back off a little bit or something. But it's a nice way to uh, visually confirm and auditorily confirm that it's a good recipe. It's not just taking someone's word for it. So I, I do like that model a lot. And I hope the hobbyist community kind of comes together and can compile the information a little better because that'd be really cool. You know, like imagine some new guy coming in uh, who wants to machine something he's never machined before and he's able to go to this place and to check out like, um, oh, okay, if I do that, I can do that and it'll work and there's a video, this is how it should sound like. Because I remember the first time I cut aluminum, I was scared because I didn't know if that was the right sound or not and it definitely wasn't, but I didn't know if that was or not and I had nowhere to kind of Google to search like, hey, this is what aluminum sounds like when you're milling it wrong. So yeah, I think it's a very cool idea. Yeah, I, I like the video too because uh, you know you can count basically on what you see on proven cut is a good cut, right? right. So right. if you're if you're following that recipe and you're getting different results, um, you know that's when you need to start looking at your tool, right? Or some work holding or something's you know something's just not quite right. So it should help give you that confidence that uh, um, that it can be done, right? With that machine, with that tool, that material. You know, you can actually see it and hear it for yourself. And then, like, that was kind of missing when I first started CNC. You know, I, I could find some mentions in the form of speeds and fees, and those were, like, a lot of help, to be honest. Um, but actually seeing how the machine was supposed to be running would, would have been even better. It would have given me more confidence, yeah. right, to tackle some of the harder materials. So um, probably saved me some tools and some mistakes. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's kind of a neat concept. I like I like where he's going with that. Yeah, and you know, anything to like make it easier for like a new person, it takes some of that because the last thing you want is somebody to get a machine thinking they can do it, and then all of a sudden they hit all these road bumps, and every roadblock that they hit makes them l less likely to continue this hobby or to go further down this path. So if we can remove some of these roadblocks with like a video and a recipe, it'll make it more fun. And the more fun people have, the more people will have on the instant, machine, uh, instant machinist community doing these types of things. So I think it's a win for everybody. So I hope the, I hope proven cut does really well. And I hope everyone kind of takes this format and applies it to their forums and stuff like that. So people can have a better way to search for these kind of things. Um, yeah. Cause that'd be cool. Hey, Winston, I wanted to circle back around something you mentioned. So you, you said you've got the, uh, is it HTC C axis upgrade? Indeed. The heavy duty by, uh, Luke. So is this the beginning of your, my dark descent going, into madness? Yeah, are you going full <laughs> Vince fab on one of your shape Ocos? You know, <laughs> I would like to, I got to pick his brain on what his, uh, air blast MQL situation is, but, I think for now, um, I just like, as someone who makes videos for carbide, it, it's kind of my responsibility to know what these, these different accessories can do. And if I've never tasted the sweet, sweet glory of linear rails and ball screws, I can't really inform other people of what the benefits are. So this is really for my own education. Um, but it might also maybe allow me to make, I don't know, an even larger aluminum longboard in half the time. Um, 
right now, I don't know what the possibilities are, how much better it's going to be. So for me, this is it's it's a fun experiment, and it'll help me help other people make informed decisions. Have you run a machine with that upgrade? Or I have not. To one? Okay, nope. so you're you're brand new to that. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback on that. Um, yeah, I know you're kind of in a tough situation because you gotta you can't stray too far from like what other basically what your viewers. Yeah, everything I do shop, has so. to be like achievable by sort of like the general public. So I can't go full Vince Fab and put linear rails on the x-axis. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Or if you do, you'll have to have a second machine that's you know near near stock, right? I was just about to say that you just need a second Shapeoko that can go all out. I do. Um, I've got a smaller stock three uh, named Sam underneath <laughs> the uh, uh, the XL, but I have some some other plans for that to potentially make that a traveling CNC. Uh, so more on that in the future, mm-hmm. but hopefully we'll have another grand CNC road trip uh, next year. Cool. Yeah, you're definitely coming here at some point, I hope. Texas is, I guess that's about the limit of how far I'd want to go. Um, maybe, hold on, let me let me look it up. The, I don't think the direct route is nearly as bad. It was just terrible because last time I went from Texas to New Mexico to Colorado to Utah um even direct it's a long drive from la yeah san antonio yeah we like we used to do that like twice a year back when i was a kid because uh we were we were on the west coast and all our relatives were texas and louisiana and so i remember those drives (laughs) oh see if it was like close to 13 hours i'd i'd swallow that but i'm seeing 19 to 20 hours which uh, that that's kind of pushing my limit so that's a little rough 13 of those hours are probably from the border of Texas to San Antonio. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how you guys can get down here, but, um, you know, once the Neo's up and running, definitely got to, you guys got an open invite to come check it out, make some chips with me. Yeah. Oh, we'll be there. (laughs) Don't you worry. (laughs) Whether you like it or not, we'll be there. I I already have a project of mine too, so I'm excited. So do I. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll probably be like other than whatever well actually so my plan is probably not to take on i might take on a little bit of commercial work before the beginning of next year for the neo but probably mostly going to be just experimenting with it right kind of getting comfortable and proficient with the machine with my own projects so which is kind of cool because that means i'll probably be doing a lot of stuff i can show for the first few months i have the machine um so I'm going to be working on work holding for like using the year to make work holding for all the other machines here. So that's kind of kind of the theme of probably what will be going on there. Um, and also, you know, work holding for the Neo where I can. Um, so yeah, this should be fun. I, I feel like you're going to pick that up really fast though. I mean, you, you know, the, that the Daytron was so easy to use at the, Fusion Academy thing. I can't imagine you, you'll probably learn a bunch of tips and tricks and, and cool stuff to do that it can do that normal hobby machines can't do. But I feel like your yeah. transition is going to be super fast, like so, even faster than when I went to the Haas. Like my feeling is like the Neo itself is super easy to use. Like yeah, I played, you know I've used it a few times. It's more the realm of power and speed. 
um, you know, that's not unique to the Neo, right? Any, any kind of pro gear compared to what I've been running is going to be, uh, take some adjusting, right? Right. Speeds and feeds, which are actually pretty, like pretty well documented. I kind of know where to go, um, where to start on any material I plan on running on that machine this year. Um, this is really <laughs> like, but I expect to see is like, I'm going to hit cycle start. The machine's going to be running exactly how it's supposed to be. But to me, it's going to look like it's moving insanely fast. <laughs> yeah. Got to stop. <laughs> I mean, so, you yeah. finally get to use fees and speeds from the manufacturer that yeah, you don't exactly. have to alter. You literally can just plug <laughs> and play because they're tested for this machine for this end mill. So I, you're going to easy town, man. I, I think uh, you're going to love it and you'll never look back. Yeah. And it's kind of neat because, um, you know, most of the MTBs don't make their own tooling. So that, you know, that's a little plus for me is, you know, I'll probably for the most part be using Datron tooling because uh, I already use that here, right? The single flute stuff. I, I don't expect that to be any different unless I need, have a special need for a particular tool path or something. But um, so like their machine, their tool paths, their speeds and feeds, like how, how, how bad could it be, right? Right. <laughs> it's just going to work. You know, um, and Another thing I'd be curious to find out is, um, I'll ask you when you come back from the training and stuff is your transition from the hobby machine to the Daytron. And we should definitely talk about like that transition. Cause I, I feel like one of the things that people underestimate is when you own a hobby machine, it does a lot for you for when you do transition to the big machine, like all the things that you learn on there and the things that you broke and, and messed up that carries with you and that makes you a better machinist regardless. So you don't need to start on an expensive machine to use. You can start on these cheaper machines and work your way up and everything you learn along the way makes you better in the long run. So I'd be really interested to hear you talk about that. I'm sure other people will too. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the things that will be like truly new to me will be probing, right? I've never had integrated probing before. So, um, looking for every opportunity to take advantage of that. Um, and tool the ATC, right? Having a tool changer and managing tools that'll be a little bit different than what I do today. And probably the other thing is work offsets, right? Because I don't really use work offsets on any of my machines here, um, other than the you know the factory one, right? So yeah. uh, I expect to be doing a lot more uh, custom work offsets. It's the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, like you know, being I I I set the G fifty four to the back of the corner of the vice, so the, where the the jaw that doesn't move that that corner is zero zero and anytime i put a piece of stock in i always reference that zero zero so if i move the stock plate like to the right one inch and i can go up to the xyz and i can minus one and i can measure the z and boom i'm off to the races like and i can do this very quickly because i know where that g54 is all the time and i program everything accordingly when i use the host to that so i can set up really fast and you can have you know we have multiple vices on the table uh, 55 is for the other vice and like i don't have to do all the stuff that i normally do on the hobby machine because you have all these cool tools so you're gonna love it it's so much fun Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I'll probably like, I don't know yet. I, I, I the way I think I'm going to use the machine is, um, I'll probably leave the rotary axis on there most of the time. Um, or at least starting next year when it's, it's probably most of the commercial work I'll get will be either four axis work or, <laughs> or it's going to be the vacuum like plate work. Right. So then everything comes off and the, the vacuum check goes on. But, um, nice thing about the Neo is it's easy to, transition between those with the probing and uh, they have a pretty quick process for dialing in the rotary. The way the table's set up on the Neo, they have those 
locator cones. So everything kind of goes back in the right place anyway. Uh, so yeah, that that's actually pretty nice. It's, I know in some like other VMCs, getting the rotary set up is like half a day, right? To get everything dialed in and, and they're mm -hmm. so heavy, right? You gotta get the crane. This thing's pretty light. Nothing on that machine's gonna be like too big for me to handle just by hand. Um, except maybe some of the stock I put on there, <laughs> like some of the big plates, I might wish I had a, a lift or something, but so that's, yeah, for this week. So I think I'll be doing V250 stuff most of this week. And then I have, uh, I have some Bantam stuff. I, I definitely have some more PCBs I want to crank out. And then I have, um, this, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm kind of like Winston. I have this eighth inch, like polished aluminum plate stock that I've had forever. I've been trying to think of something cool to do with it. So the stuff I mentioned to Winston or stuff I've been thinking about maybe doing with that. So probably run something like that either this week or next week. And it's probably going to be just like prototype pieces or something that probably won't go together until I cut it again. It's going to take me a few iterations to get something that works. You know, the more I think about it, the more I think a fidget spinner would actually be a really easy thing to make. <laughs> because once I get that center board in, I can just drop down a, a, a socket head screw or something and use that for work holding. Um, yeah, that, that's how I did it. I did like the, I, mean, I don't know if you're going to do like a, I, I did the three arm spinner, right? That was kind of my classic design. And first thing I did was put this, like a holes in the center and the three arms and then bolted the plate down and did all the rest of the machining and there was it was a two-sided part so it made it easy to flip over and, and I, I was doing it in the plate so i was doing like eight at a time no i think five at a time per plate i can't remember how many fit in there but um now you'd have two of those plates on the nomad at the same time and taking up half the bed you know yeah. what i might do i might make like a ninja star or something heck i might even take your logo cut it out and then just sharpen the edges and just try throwing that at targets <laughs> it would be actually really easy because you've got a hole that's dead center so i'll just bore out all the holes at once um i've been doing this thing now where i set my origin over one of the um the threaded holes in my wasteboard and so when i bore out a central hole there is immediately like a perfect place where I can drop a quarter 20 yeah. bolt and just yeah. bolt down the stock. So hmm. there, there might be sharp throwing objects in my garage soon. What was your material? Stain was it stainless? Stainless. I am yeah. assuming it's 303. So yeah, that'll have enough mass to have some fun. Yeah. I mean, do you want to make a, like a simple folding knife from like World War II? The the two by two inch stock makes it a little tricky. Um, I could cut the blade diagonally or something, unless like we just buy some fresh stock. Um, I want to make a folding knife. It's just there's a lot of like little moving parts and extra features you have to take into account. So maybe maybe next year. Right now, I think I'm all all knifed out. So uh, we'll, we'll try and keep it simple. No moving parts for now. Boo. And then next year, <laughs> well, if you want to make one, I'll help you. <laughs> I know how to heat treat metal now. That might be cool. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Well, guys, we're we're uh, down to the last two minutes. Anything you guys want to cover uh, before we wrap it up for the evening? 
Uh, I want to make a quick shout out to somebody on, in the instrument machinist community. Uh, his name is on the Instagram is Dutch class underscore watch. D-U-T-C-H class watch. This guy makes grade five titanium watch cases on the pocket NC and his watch looks crazy cool. I, I don't even know how to explain it. I don't know if you can help me out here. It's got like a carbon fiber inside that looks like a hex pattern or something it's it's yeah, really dial. gnarly yeah yeah it's kind of like a 3d it almost looks like crystal growth right kind of a, yeah they're not all in the same plane it's kind of interesting like it like a geode almost um yeah yeah he's doing all that on a v250 that's pretty cool super cool yeah that was like i just machined like i did a test on grade five and published it um, it was right about the time the V250 was announced and he had one of the earliest like shipping V250s because I think he was the second guy that reached out to me that had received a machine. And I remember, um, actually I'm trying to remember, no, someone told me about him. He didn't reach out to me. I think he was posting and someone said, Hey, did you see this? And it was like a complete watch case <laughs> already machined out of titanium. And I was doing like just these little test holes. I had little <laughs> pockets and this guy was already like... <laughs> he took that information and ran. <laughs> um, so that was really cool. Yeah, I was glad to see that uh, like a big job. Like to me, that's a pretty big titanium job for V two fifty. And I'm, I think he's done more than one. I think he's you know doing those fairly regularly. So uh, that's cool. Yeah, I've, I've been uh, following him ever since on Instagram. Yeah, definitely give him some love and check him out. It's definitely worth uh, worth seeing. Yeah, we'll put his page in the show notes. Is a IG link. How about you, Winston? Any last parting words? I mean, I could jump on board with the spotlight idea if you guys are cool with that. Yeah. Um, my recent uh, follow, based on uh, a suggestion, is um, guy on IG called Prince Customs. He is a knife maker, and um, he the way he uses his CNC for beveling um like he gets like machining marks or deliberate um designs that are like really artistic and really cool and it really changed the way i thought about how i do my tool paths um like instead of doing like a 3d contour to to do my beveling maybe i'll try like a radial or like uh, just try and influence the 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 tool path propagation to look more visually interesting. So uh, he's, he's given me a lot of ideas just looking at his work into ways of sort of blinging out the, the knife designs that I have. Cool. Yeah, I, I checked him out after you told me about him, and it's it's really amazing stuff too and inspirational. So really, really cool. I don't even know. How to, like you said, it's hard to explain. You just got to look at it, and you can, you can see all the intricate detail that he puts into his knives using the CNC. So I'm trying to think. We have... Um so this is DFX 30. We have one, are we doing one more episode before I take off? I think we do have one more, right? Before you uh, dance off to Germany and yeah, uh, maybe not actually. with other larger CNCs. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if I'm, I'm trying to think when that would be, that would be uh yeah. Yeah. We'll do, we'll probably do an episode then. I don't leave till the 17th. So um, yeah, hopefully we'll, I'll get one more chance to hang with you guys before I take off. Cool. That'd be good. All right. Well, I'm going to say good night. Yeah. Good night, man. Thanks again for having me. Thank you all for the conversation.